Welcome, everybody, to the first Bald Move Top 10 TV podcast for 2014. Uh, well, actually, it's not the first for 2014. It's the only for 2014. Uh, we are going to take some time today to run down the top 10 list that we had created uh, a couple of days ago on uh, YouTube. We went through and we argued about what wa- what are we going to put in our favorite 10 shows of 2014. We started with a list of everything that we've both mutually seen. Well, kind then, of. <laughs> then we added stuff that, like, from other top 25 lists that we knew people would be like, but what about? And uh-huh. talked about why or why not we didn't watch it or why we didn't put it on our list. Yep. I mean, it's it's hours of... If you want to see, like, hey, mm-hmm. my favorite show wasn't on top 10 list, what up? It might then... have been on there, um, but... But it's it's down the list, and we were we have a video on YouTube where you can go check all that out. Yeah, um, you can either go, I guess, to YouTube or the website. Yeah, go to the website, find this show notes in this article, and I will hot link those two videos on there. Okay, um, but you know the brutal reality is is there's so much good television nowadays. Yeah, we, I mean, I'm proud to say we podcasted seven out of the top uh, ten of our personal. Sure. And we are going to probably be uh, podcasting nine out of the, t- the, the the top ten this coming year because, you know. Yeah, seems like it. Fool us once, shame on us. Fool us twice, shame on you or something. But, um, you know, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to say as a preamble. I don't think so. The way we're going to handle this is we're just going to go over our top ten from ten to one. Yep. And we're going to talk a little bit about why the show's on our list, um, you know, what we enjoyed about it, and yeah. go from there. Yeah, let's do it. All right. First up. Drum roll. Number 10 on the list is Silicon Valley, which is a comedy from Mike Judge. Shocking surprise. There's gasps from the audience. There might be. There might women be. This is a pretty niche men, show. women, and children fainting in the aisles. <laughs> I don't know that they're that hype for it, but <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, so it's made by Mike Judge, who is one of my all-time favorite like movie writers and directors. Yeah, I love his comedy. Um, even stuff as far back, like I didn't get into Beavis and Butthead. That was right in my wheelhouse during the time, but I wasn't allowed to watch it. Yeah, they were too raw, too uh, disrespectful. Kind of yep. like the same thing with The Simpsons. Uh, but you know, I caught up on his stuff in King of the Hill. Sure. And then Office Space is one of my all-time favorite comedies. Sure. He's done some stuff since then, like Idiocracy. Idiocracy, yeah, fantastic movie. Lots of social. I mean, the, the thing about Mike Judge comedy is it's got a lot of heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and it's got a way to connect. If you are not part of the target audience, like King of the sure. Hill, you didn't have to be a white bread crew cut, cut you yeah. know, beer drinking, lawn mower riding, propane grilling guy from Arlington, Texas to get yeah. get that and, and get the family and the neighborhood con- connections. And he does a very good job of opening your eyes up to a different world and seeing the humor in it without sure. laughing at it. You laugh with it. I mean, a lot of it is satire, right? I mean, he goes over the top, gets extreme for the sake of making a point about, yeah. you know, society. If you're talking about idiocracy um, and just people getting dumber and dumber. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, office space. Obviously, that's the office environment just taken to the extreme. Sure. And this is no different, right? It takes startup culture and kind of the whole Silicon Valley idea and just makes fun of it. The only thing I would say different is I'm not sure. And I haven't seen this whole thing. Uh Uh, There's like one on here that I haven't seen and one on here that you haven't seen. Yeah. Um, 
which was always kind of the debate about, you know, again, watch the ser- the YouTube series if you want to see how we arrived at this. But I've watched a little bit of this since then, and I watched the finale especially, mm-hmm. and I kind of wonder, I am in this. I mean, this was the, the kind of culture that I came from, the startup culture, internet culture. I've been a consultant. Yeah. I've been, I've worked for startups. And I, it's weird. It'd almost be like I'm... If I lived in Hank Hill's neighborhood, would I assume that no one else outside here would get this? Maybe. Because I guess I'm, you know, when people start talking about compression factors and like all these like buzzwords, like this one guy for pitching for Hooli gave a two minute talk that was entirely buzzwords. And is that is that funny to people outside the community? Yeah, I don't know. It might not be. It also might be a consequence of, you know, just watching the final episode of the season. I think they do a little bit of legwork to get you there if you're not completely ingrained in startup culture. Uh, But, you know, you jump in at the end, you can't really expect to understand everything. Sure. But that was like my chief complaint of Halt and Catch Fire was that I felt the people that outside of industry, just the way they, they chose to show the technology was just dumb. Yeah, but I don't. I didn't get that here. It just felt like you know you you'd have to kind of understand. But that again, it, it sounds to me like maybe that is partly because I'm inside that culture. Yeah, and it might just be for a generation that kind of grows up around this stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I I think you know my generation kind of grew up with Nintendo and uh-huh. like the early early internet. But now we're in stuff where cloud computing means something to a lot more people. Sure. So. It's how celebrities get their nudes stolen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I don't know. I really like this show. And uh, despite you having not seen it, I think it was my favorite comedy from uh, the last year. And a word about comedy is we kind of talked about a lot of this more in the, the YouTube behind the scenes stuff. But mm-hmm. we both have discovered we have an inborn bias towards comedy that even the best highest reaches of comedy and dramedies don't quite get to the highs with us as the drama. And you'll see that, that there's like a a block of comedies and then it's straight drama at the top. And we just yeah. couldn't, we're like, you know, should this be higher? Should this, we, we, we did that several iterations of like, okay, should we swap these two? Is this one better than this? Is this, you yeah. know, um, just purely subjective, whether we liked it or not. And for whatever reason, the comedies, maybe, maybe there will come a day when comedies are, are perceived as, as good as dramas, but it's just not, not that day. Sure. Why don't you talk about number nine? Number nine uh, is going to be a switcheroo, something that I've seen and you have not. Mm-hmm. That is Netflix's breakout hit, Orange is the New Black, mm-hmm. which came back for season two. Um, this is a Jinji uh, Cohen. What's her name? Jinji the Weeds Girl? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. She came back and I thought made a tighter, more compelling season two. A lot of the complaints I had where it was kind of Piper-centric, um, Taylor Schilling playing Piper is kind of unlikable, and, and the, the person that we're supposed to be kind of like sucked into this world, I thought, kind of pushed me away where I was much more interested in like the hmm. background characters. Okay. And we got more backstory for more popular characters. Uh, I thought that Piper took a little bit of a backseat. Uh, I still find that the stuff involving her and her ex-girlfriend, and her ex-fiance, and her family to be the least compelling content, but it was probably less than 20% of the season, and it was much better than the first. So uh, some gut-busting scenes, some genuine shocks, uh, some genuine emotion, 
um, mm. generated by the Miss Rosa character and her arc. Um, mm. I and 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 I can't wait for season three. So we, obviously we did a pod. I, you know, it's really fun doing the podcast with the uh, ladies that joined me uh, doing that, and I'm uh, looking forward to season three. I don't know what else to say about it. Okay. Well, we you say a lot more about it in the the full YouTube thing. So sure, sure. There's plenty more to be had if you want to find it. Here on out, we both we've we've seen both of the uh, yes. this stuff. So number eight, the Americans. Uh, I just caught up on the Americans on yep. season two, getting ready to go into season three. Which right on schedule. Podcasting about yeah. Um, I found it to be a little bit better than season one, which was already really good in my opinion. Yeah. Um, de- definitely one of the best dramas on TV. I, I feel that it firmly hits that mark. Uh, so that's why it's number eight. I mean, I, I love the spy craft in it, which we've talked about and probably will continue to talk about through season three. Uh, that stuff's all really good. It sets a, an awesome tone between kind of, you know, the, the spy stuff and the family stuff they have to do. Yeah. There's a good balance there. Um, and I feel like that's that's actually taking its toll on the family, which you want to see. Um, that kind of stuff just really gets me interested in the show. And the timeline is exact. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. It's really cool to see the video games and the toys and the music and the clothing and all that stuff that I kind of grew up in. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to see this is the height of the Cold War. Yep. And, you know, that these Russians struggling amongst Americans and the Americans struggling to stop the Russians and how we feel mm-hmm. about that and how the characters feel about that. Uh, I feel like this show does a really good job at integrating the whole family. Yeah. You know, you, I've seen so many times that the the kids and the teenagers are an afterthought or not fully well realized. And I think that especially Paige behaves an entirely like a teenager would and not like in a snotty entitled sense, but just like if your parents yeah. are doing crazy shit, you would, you would feel like that's a license for you to go do some crazy shit, right? Yeah. And I don't know that her, the shit she gets up to is all that crazy. Her parents certainly think it is, but, but yeah. her parents are also murdering people at <laughs> night and stealing state secrets and all this other stuff. So who, sure. who are they to talk? W- uh, one of the things that you think is a little weaker in this series is the relationship between, uh, Nina and Stan, who is the FBI agent. I just don't like Stan. Stan to me okay. is like what what season two of Justified would be if if Mags Bennett was not cast as Margot <laughs> Martindale, which is by the way awesome as Claudia in The Americans, and I hope we see more sure. of her uh, going forward. But yeah. like, if you, I'm trying to think of who uh, who you could have cast in, like you know. If, but but like you know a, a poor man's version of Margot. If you put sure. her in Max yeah, Bennett, yeah. the whole thing kind of relies on you believing her as as a a valid foil to Boyd and Raylan, right? Sure. I and Stan, same goes here with Stan. Stan is just uh, like eating a gallon of vanilla ice cream, and I <laughs> I don't get him. I don't understand his motivations. Uh-huh. I the the I don't buy his intensity that he would have to have in this job and the jobs I know. I don't. I don't care about his relationship with his wife, hmm. but despite all that, because he's a, he's a he's a side banana, he's a second banana. He's not arguably the real. <laughs> um, I think his poor Stan. You're just shitting all over Stan. No, Agent Gad. I think that's where it's at. All Agent right. Gad. See, I I really do like uh, you know set Stan aside. Whatever you think about him, yeah, I do like that they show both sides of this. That sure. is super interesting. You yeah. know. Uh, if we were to just see the spies, the Russian spies and American soil, I don't think that would be nearly as interesting. 
And I do think it's... You want to see the battle. I do think it's more interesting that he didn't compromise in the end. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And that I'm kind of curious to see how he goes forward as a kind of, you know, dirty dishwasher or dirty dishwater style agent. He's a little gray, a little dingy yeah. now. He's not exactly the Eagle Scout he was. Sure. I, I think they, they set up the ending of that so that I didn't see it coming. I yeah. really expected to stand to I go did. through with it. I did too. Uh, and I'm glad he didn't. And, it, you know, this this was one of the best shows on TV in 2014. I was excited to see him be fully turned and then, then uh, you know, Agent Gad would be the new big bad. Because for some reason... I don't want to see that guy be the big bad. You don't like... Ah. He's a, a, he works at the FBI and you're calling him the big bad. They've already got you. I've <laughs> already been co-opted. Any day. Uh but yeah, I I don't know. That guy's just as milk toast to me as Stan is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, eh, I don't know. Like I said, I, I fully aware uh, in another life he was uh, John Boy Walton, and I never think that you know. But as, if if it's a race between John Boy Walton and <laughs> Doctor Jenner, Jenner, then God damn it, I'm I'm pulling for John Boy. All right, oh, I'll pull for you, Jenner. Okay, what about number seven? Number seven, uh, another Netflix darling, House of Cards. Uh, you and I bo- both booth. I I, I Is was he rushing. I started, to Canada? I started rushing. I'm going to Canada. <laughs> that's right. The other evil empire. Um, <laughs> I don't understand the meh that this show gets. House of Cards. Yeah, and I think yeah. that to me, it's all about Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright. Yeah, and being I, I gleefully watch them wreck Washington. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not conflicted. <laughs> I don't worry about the, the, the terrible things. I kind of root them on. You don't um, worry about how true to life this might be? I, I No, I buy all this shit. Okay. Like, there is, there is nothing you. you could tell me about a corrupt Washington official that I wouldn't buy. Uh-huh. Like, it's like, no, I don't believe that. Like, there's nothing you could tell me <laughs> that would be that shocking to me. Um, and I think that, uh, aside from the the murder... Sure, uh, the, sure. the 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 murders and the over the top betrayals. I think a lot of this stuff is probably how a lot of horses get traded in Washington. How a lot of the sausage gets ground. Yeah, no, the politics stuff that he does, uh, the political maneuvering and the leverage and stuff like that that he uses against people. Uh, not the violence. I don't buy that. But that's know. where it breaks down because it's like yeah. you know the the third. We always we said we had the joke. He's like you had the murder brick. No, you had to lie, brick, murder. Uh Like, you start with the lies and the manipulation. Then, if not, you stage some shit to... It's a method. ...to to build your platform of lies and manipulations. And if that works, you just just murder people, straight up. Yeah, he has the patent on that. So, but I can't get enough. I think Kevin Spacey is so enjoyable to watch, and he is having so much fun doing the things he's doing. Yep. It's just horrific. Um, yeah, and they have some good periphery characters too. I think Freddie was a fantastic character. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we'll Freddy. see him again. I hope uh, we see him again. But you know, if not, he he served his purpose and he did a hell of a job doing it. Um, the hammer. Don't forget about the hammer. <laughs> Absolutely, the hammer was great. Uh, it, what was his fucking sidekick's name <laughs> that got bricked? Oh, uh, shit. Uh, not Skipper. Not Skinner. Um, no, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't remember his name. Uh, it's a shame. Jimbo. Because he's a pretty major character. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us can remember. Uh, but yeah, I, I really love, you know, Tusk as a, a counterweight to Kevin Spacey in this. Uh, I felt like they were equals. And Stamper. 
Stamp, Harry Stamper, yep. Doug Stamper. Harry Stamper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> his name is Stamper, though? Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, I felt like Tusk was a worthy adversary. Tusk was... And, I, and it made it super engaging watching them go at it in this season. It was like a heavyweight prize fight. Just when you thought the other yeah. one had been on the canvas and not getting back up, nope, nope, they're able, they're nope. saved by the bell, and they live to fight another day. It was like a Muhammad Ali mirror match. They were both dancing and bobbing and weaving right. the entire time. It was great. So, uh, and I even, I didn't come in caring anything about President Walker, but I kind of uh, got sucked into the things between him and his wife and, and how... Yeah. He was, you know, Frank Underwood is just playing him like a fiddle. That's the thing I remember you saying during the the cast we did on this is that you kind of didn't buy him as being the president because he wasn't forceful enough. He wasn't willing to stand up enough to his underlings, like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that might have weighed, you know, against House of Cards when we were ranking it here in the, the final list. Yeah, I feel like everything in like the, the, you know the top or the the bottom six of the top 10 has some kind of flaw yeah there's a a yes but and you know with the americans for me it's stan with house of cards uh, it's a little bit of like you know the president and him being a little milk toast you know um i think we're ready to move on yeah to the next one which also has a couple flaws sure uh number six boardwalk empire uh this is a show that i had to blitz through seasons one through four to catch up for season five. Uh, I had, I had think I had seen season one. It's only because I I made it a demand. It was like, we either do boardwalk empire or I walk, (laughs) I boardwalk out of the studio (laughs) and, and I, I, I fucking poisoned the golden goose. Yep. Yep. I drained the golden cow. Luckily enough, I was just interested enough in it to (laughs) go along with that plan. No, it's something that I had been meaning to get to and I just never gotten to, and so, you know, final season's coming up. Let's just please cover this. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it it paid off. I, I think season five was maybe not its best season, but for me, anyway, it was the best season in a few seasons. I know you have a completely different opinion on that. But, yeah. But there were very few missteps in that final season, as far as I'm concerned. The one uh, kind of, and it's not exactly a misstep, because I think... The fine the the final arc of of Chalky was beautiful, and, the very end of it, and, yeah. uh, and it let um, you know Michael William uh, do some really staggeringly good work with his face and just like such a restrained <laughs> performance. Uh huh. They yeah. get so much emotion out of that. But when I'm comparing that to Richard Harrow's, which is my price other favorite character, mm-hmm. the ending that he got and kind of like he had a whole season arc built around him and he, you know, everything kind of wrapped up finale where that stuck with me for days and weeks after I had watched the show. Yeah. He was much more of a whimper than a bang. And that's, that is, Chalky was. yeah. And yeah. I don't know if I can say that's a misstep other than, um, I, I don't know what I would call that. Uh, the 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 episode, the episode in to in, in total or the series in total, I felt like to this day, it was half. It, it wasn't as it wasn't a full length run. I feel like mm-hmm. that the real plan was to do this for several more seasons. So I mean, I got another misstep is we didn't see uh, Arnold Rothstein. Yeah, that, that was disappointing because they set that up so brilliantly in the previous season. 
and I really wanted to see that pay off, but they had to jump way, way into the future. But a lot of things I admire, like um, I was critical in the early going of the flashbacks to Golden Age Nucky or Silver Bronze Age, whatever we call yeah. it. Yeah. And I think paid that off. paid off beautifully mm-hmm. and just kept on intertwining, intertwining to where, you know, by the time we get to the final scenes, it played out exactly the way it did play out. I admire the way that the um, showrunners uh, did not flinch from the problem of Nucky and his original sin yeah. and didn't try to pin any heroics on it. It was what it was. What it, it was. And yeah, it's a man who got to power doing some horrible things and knows it. And he and he, needs to pay some consequences. And, and and it was an ultimate defeat for that character, which also was kind of mildly surprising and somewhat courageous for them. And also to have him go out on the cusp of getting on the cusp of a happy ending and have like yeah. the these sins from the past literally come and bite yeah, him in the, the ass. The way he goes out is, in my opinion, perfect. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I know a lot of people were somewhat disappointed that that particular riddle got cracked fairly early on but i thought that they did a they could have been more subtle at the end i felt i thought they could have been subtle and more subtle in the beginning i thought it was pretty well telegraphed i mean i don't okay. know because i was on that from day one you were but yeah. um i know that that was disappointing to some people but the other thing that ranks it so high uh-huh. for me is the the war with lucky luciano sure um and and capone stuff i mean those those two angles on this season were fantastic. And what's that guy's name? Stephen Graham, the did yeah. Capone. Mm-hmm. Best Capone ever. He's extraordinary. Uh, I mean, he has the ability to swing from this violent lunatic to the scenes with his son, where he's the the caring father who's worried about his future child. You know? And that's great. It's great. These people were all those things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They're real people. They feel like real people. Yeah. That's what I want for my dramas. No, I I thought it was a fitting end, and I know we disagree on this, but Boardwalk is a top five show for me. Um, and I know we disagree on you think season one and two are stronger. I think season three and four is the show's best work, but yeah. uh, I'm glad that final season managed to stack up enough to get on our top ten. Okay, moving on to the top five, uh, Fargo. I. Yeah. Was very pleased with the work that Noah Hawley did adapting this because I found out just before we started doing the podcast that the Coen brothers were not really involved except for like, you know, name only for which they got executive producer credits. Not a bad deal. Sure. But I remember thinking, God, we're making a mistake covering this day one (laughs) because this could be, you know, trying to adapt the spirit and feel of this, you know, classic Coen brothers film that doesn't use any of the original characters, doesn't have any real ties to it. Uh-huh. You know, you're just like trying to get the environment and a few key castings and and a wing and a prayer and a, a compelling tr- uh, crime story and have it all play out. But it did. It did. It mm-hmm. was super entertaining. It was surprisingly funny. One of the key moments in the show that really stood out to me and, and has really stayed with me is uh, when Numbers and Wrench uh killed the guy that has the misfortune of being a little too Malvo-esque by do- dropping him in ice hole. Yeah. Horrific. And lots of horrific things happen in this. Yeah. Uh you the- know, Lester Nigard by Martin Freeman. Yeah. Just such a great original creation, such a shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh such a character you just want bad things to happen to. Um Lorne Malvo. Yeah. Such a brilliant original creation that still 
fits in right in with the Fargo universe. Sure. They they all have their own quirks. Um and they they all feel very Fargo esque. Yeah. Uh and I, I really like the stuff with Gus and Molly. Sure. Uh that all worked really well. There were some missteps in this though. Certainly. I mean f- fishnado. That's uh-huh. that's uh-huh. And, and and the fact that that was a culmination of a plot line that feels like it was a two or three episode arc that in retrospect we feel like we were kind of on a little bit of a treadmill. It was a Yeah, the Supermarket King was kind of a detour in the story. It did provide the connection to the previous film. Yeah, the money. And, and I like that. I think there's room for this to be more interconnected. I mean, I think there's more room for this to be interconnected in future installments of Fargo, okay. where maybe coming back to this in a few years, we'll see that this is like a really brilliant setup for something that happens in a prequel or sequel or something. We'll could s- be. see how it goes. Or it could just be, again, a weird digression of this otherwise really singular focused show about, uh, I mean, what is Fargo about? It's about a man... Uh, it, it that you know what it means to be good, what it means to be evil. Yes, probably. What it means, you know what what is the line between standing up for yourself and yeah. and you know, and that's that's the beauty of of Gus as a character, right? Yeah. What's the difference between predator and prey, and how those yeah. relationships can kind of t- turn the tables over time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what is a true? What are true tests of character? You know, yeah, and and I, as much as we see of like Lester, he is certainly not that right. He is, he is an asshole by the end of this thing. Um, whereas I feel like Gus is the guy who goes through Gus and Molly both together, kind of in a lot of ways, go through this whole story and learn their lessons in a way that you know real people would learn the lessons. They they aren't they're the only characters who are not really caricatures Mm -hmm. you know they feel the most like real people and they are taking to heart the lessons learned it is changing them in subtle ways not not the lester kind of way where he hammers his wife and then becomes a lunatic right uh i I felt like they were the most grounded and the most relatable and that's kind of why i like their story the most the other stuff is pure entertainment in my opinion (laughs) i mean there's so so much great stuff so the classic stuff like uh you know, Lester with his wife going to the uh, insurance agency. Yeah. And like the triple realization we as an audience where it's like, oh, oh, no. Oh, my God. There's so many of those moments and Uh so much great tension and like cover your eyes and watch between your fingers moments. Um, There's nothing quite like the feel and the look of Fargo. Absolutely. It's so unique. Uh, I feel like in a lot of ways it's hard to put it any higher, not because there are, you know, those couple of minor missteps, but I think it's just so quirky and it's so weird and it's so non-traditional that it's hard for it to rise too much higher on our list. Especially since you've got a murderer's row of like, you know, uh, you would think it'd be hard to art the out quirk. An out uh, unique <laughs> Fargo, but I think we got definite two installments in the top three that do just that. I think so, yeah. Anything else on Fargo? Should we move on to number four? No, let's move on to number four, which is Mad Men. Uh, I don't think the last season was the best season of this show, but this is one of the best shows on TV, period, mm-hmm. uh, through its entire run. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so consistently good that even not being the best season, it is still a really phenomenal season. 
And if you, you know, so this works for and against it. Um, it works for it because we have been with these characters for six years now. Yeah. And we're really familiar with them. And, you know, we want, we're invested in the story. We want to see it succeed. We're pulling for them. Uh, but also kind of works against it because, you know, Mad Men was original as hell when it first came out. But this sure. many seasons in, that new car smell is worn off. And it's just, you can get, you can certainly think, well, it's the same old, same old. We're saying it's like, this isn't the best season of Mad Men. What does that even mean? <laughs> you at, know? at its height, I think the Mad, I think the Mad Men might be up up in the very top echelon of television ever made. Right, right. Like up there with the Breaking Bads and the Wires. Sure. And, and that's that's the the other thing this season's got going for it. It was the first half of the final season of Mad Men. Yeah. Very yeah. much like, I mean, we're kind of all in pins and needles. Are, is the wiener going to stick the landing as well as the Villigan did? Yeah. Uh, and that's the new gold standard for wrapping this stuff up in a satisfying manner. And Sure. I felt like we were really lucky. Like, so many shows ended... In a very satisfactory way. Um, and even like Fargo and some of these others that were standalone seasons, I felt like we got as good an end. And that's just yeah. feels like it's very rare when you go back and consider The Sopranos and the, and Lost, <laughs> Lost and yeah. X-Files and a lot of the, the great television that came before it where things either kind of, you know, flew apart or went out with a whimper. Yeah. I mean, before before this kind of latest round of really amazing television, I would say that maybe The Shield is the only yeah. show I had watched that really stuck that landing right. in a, a perfect way. And I feel like, yeah, the there way have been that, two or in, three in shows. In a way that made the rest of the show uh, superior in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there is a little bit of that uh, kind of fascination, nervousness with Mad Men. How are they going to make this pay off? How... You know, sure. Same with Justified. Be about? You know? Yeah, <laughs> going yeah. into the final season of that. Um, let's uh, talk about. Do you want to talk anything more about season four of Mad Men? Uh, I mean, it's consistently season seven of Mad Men or whatever. I'm sorry, we're I'm on at, now. I'm at number four. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You, so no, I'm, I'm I fine. mean, it's it's the one of the most consistently well written, well acted, yeah. best looking shows on television, and their characterizations are just perfect. And I find it immensely watchable. Like yeah. even on quote unquote boring episodes, I never think, well, pff, that was a waste of my time. Yeah, I'm fascinated, absorbed. I can't get enough. Uh, let's move on to number three. Mm. Uh, the leftovers. Yeah, this is a post nine eleven style meditation on grief and loss mm-hmm. and survival. Brought to you by the creator of Lost, which scares the shit out of me going into season two. But <laughs> season one, amazingly, and especially when I consider source material, ended so brilliantly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember at the time I said it, it was like I had a, a, a great meal at a fine restaurant. I am full, but I know I want to come back and get more. And yeah. that's why I still feel about it. And I, I, and I, you know, some of the stuff is like my personal connection. I, you know, when I heard this was about stuff involving crazy cults, I'm like, I'm all in. Oh, yeah. Because I, I have had the inside view of what it's like to be inside <laughs> one of those things. And I loved uh-huh. The exploration of faith and humanity and, you know, how this cult kind of operates and whether it uses people to its advantage and what it doesn't and the mystery is involving and what's real and what's not, what is happening inside a character's mind, what's happening in the real world, what does it all mean? 
it was it, and I don't know that we got all the answers to that. Yeah, but the answers that they did give us were super satisfying. Yeah, uh, and the the acting in this, oh. I cannot say enough about the acting as. As much as Mad Men is a show about its characters, right. this show certainly is, uh-huh. um, and the characters that they establish are incredible. The uh, I, I don't remember many of their names, honestly, but Carrie Coon um, and Doctor Who as brother and sister combo are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, some of the best work that's being done on TV. Uh, man, Justin Thoreau is, is great. Great. Uh, his dad... Is also really good, you sure. know. Um, Christopher Eccleston is Doctor. Christopher, Who. there. Okay, I like while I'm talking, I'm trying to think of his fucking name. Right. Uh, yeah, I I cannot recommend if you're a fan of just watching great actors and act, Dowd as a talk God about damn. someone who's just such uh, shit. Uh, and just uh, such, oh oh, is that uh, Patty? Yeah, Patty. Okay, uh, someone that just yeah. brings out the worst in you, and then. <laughs> You know, then something will happen to make you question. Yeah. Like, oh, God, I said some really terrible things about these people, and I wanted this to happen, and then it happened, and now I feel like an animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's this so much brutality, not just, like, in a physical violence, but just emotional violence. There was, like, yeah. at least three episodes where I just sat on my couch like I like I had, I had was recovering from the flu. Oh, my God, when Lori throws that... That what is it a ring or no the lighter some, the lighter down the the right. culvert I was like oh my god I cannot yeah. believe you just did that I yeah. hate you and then the big reveal about the plan of what the because we're trying to be spoiler free as possible because this yeah. is just came out this year sure um but when you find what the the big plan of the guilty remnant how that plays out beautiful and beautiful. how the town reacts amazing yeah. uh the individual Doctor Who Christopher Eccleston arc where this preacher's desperately trying to save his own faith and his church as a proxy yeah. and how that ends up, mm-hmm. what a stomach punch that was. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've never felt that some of the, some of the things I felt during the show, I've never felt in my real life before. And I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The show puts you through the ringer as an audience member, yeah. not just the characters in the show. And I'm, I'm an experienced junkie. So that definitely counts a lot for me. Yeah, me too. Anything else we want to say before we move on to number two? We're getting a rarefied yep. air here, Jim. Yeah, here we go. I feel like we need like a, a bumper, a theme song to play here, <laughs> but we don't have one, so let's keep moving. Number two, Game of Thrones. The best season of Game of Thrones. It's a really good season. I mean, I like we were talking about this in the YouTube videos, and we're like, okay, season four. What happened in season four? So many things. Uh I don't know how spoilery we spoilery we, we want to get we can, here, yeah. But in the YouTube video, we talk about all of this stuff in right. detail. Well, I mean, like eating all the chickens, uh, uh-huh. the the death of the the royal cunt, uh, the, well, mount, the mountain in the vibe. Well, I mean, not, I mean, that's not <laughs> camouflaging anything, man. Okay, I don't know how you say that then. Like the mountain in <laughs> the viper. There, I mean, yeah. This yeah. season packed like three or four uh, death of Neds into a single season. It and really I think did. like as much as people talk about, you know, the event that took place in season three, um, for my money, this had any one of those moments is the equal of that. And there was a yes. lot of other tertiary moments like um Littlefinger. The Hound the Rise and, of Littlefinger. The Hound and Brienne. 
yeah, the battle for Arya's soul. Oh my god, fantastic! And what's that mean for Arya? And you know, where is she going? And um, And they said at the beginning of the season, this is going to be pedal to the metal. Yep, Game of Thrones, and they absolutely delivered on that. In fact, you know, normally episode nine is the hammer episode. I felt like episode nine was a, a a downbeat episode. Yeah. But it felt like they had a the double bass going there at the very end with eight and ten. Yeah. Uh in a lot of ways. I don't know. I mean, this this show to me is more entertaining on a base level. Um like I, I think some of the characters are just as good as the characters in the best shows we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think they're all that, but um the ones who are up there are really up there. And it's just it's easy to watch. It's entertaining. Uh, I mean, once you get all the names down, it's easy to watch. Sure. We're four seasons in now, yeah, so yeah. I've started to get the names. Uh, and I, I just like being entertained by my television, and that's why this is so high up. Yeah. Even above stuff like The Leftovers and Mad Men, which I think might execute at just a slightly higher level, mm-hmm. uh, I'm more entertained by Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, you, you, it's always a war between me is the art and yeah. the entertainment. Yeah. And also, like, you know, you also get some intellectual simulation, which is going to play in uh, to the number one spot, which are we ready to get to? I think we are. Yeah. Number one show, uh, consensus, two host, bald move, nominations, (laughs) entirely subjective system. Okay, that's the title of the post. Is is True Detective. (laughs) Boom. Which is my biggest podcast regret of the year, that we weren't able to get on this quick enough because, my God, the community around this... Yeah, uh, I can only compare it to serial the podcast, and that people were trying to figure out this this riddle and this mystery in real time, and it had so yep. many, you know, Lovecraft influences, and people were buying The King in Yellow off Amazon, uh-huh. and people were examining child's pictures hung up on refrigerators and walls, mm-hmm. and you're looking at this real felt- life examples of things, and yeah. No, it felt exactly to me like the fervor around Lost when it was in its, you know, second, third, fourth seasons. Yes. Uh, I was super deep into that community, and that's kind of how I felt the community was for True Detective. Yeah. Just analyzing everything, pulling every scrap out of an episode, everything has meaning. I love it. I love when a show can foster that culture around itself, and True Detective seemed to do that effortlessly. And so you got the the writing and the plotting, which I thought were incredibly tight. And uh, all credit goes to Nick Pizzolatto that 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 wrote every single episode. Yeah. But as far as the craft of filmmaking, uh, Carrie Fukunaga, I I don't think I've seen anything as impressive as the single tracking shot in episode four. <laughs> that yep. was not, and it wasn't just a showy like, oh look what we can do. It was also a tool that increased the, the the drama and the tension of that scene. Yeah, and like I felt like I needed a Gatorade bath at the end of it. I was just so <laughs> hyped. I was so hyped. Sure, and felt like you needed to crack open a Lone Star. <laughs> yeah, I really did. Start start making little Lone Star dolls out of it. Um, I you know I, uh, there's some problems people had. Like I know even you said it was just so dark and depressing in the early goings. Yeah. But I found, um, you know, Marty and Rust's banter hilarious. Like, 
I know. No, you I did. number one, I think the things that Rust says, I just don't say them aloud to people. Uh-huh. And number two, just Marty like hearing those things and the reaction uh to him saying things like this town's like a yeah, that's the ghost of a memory of a dream. That's a fucking Laurel and Hardy skit, right? It it's is. The, the straight man with the guy saying ludicrous things. Right. Uh I I like I said, I did find it hard to get into, but so I, the same thing happened with Mad Men. You know, I watched the first season of that, couldn't get into it. Now it's one of my absolute favorite shows. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I take anything away from a show that is hard to get into if it rewards you getting into it. Sure. And I think True Detective does that in spades. And, you know, it's like sets things up. So do you remember the scene towards the end of the series where, you know, Marty had – because Marty had always been like the second fiddle mm-hmm. to Rust. And when he kind of had a little detail that broke open a case and Rust is like, fuck you, man. Yeah. Like that – that line <laughs> as a congratulations required, yeah required the <laughs> previous seven or eight episodes to pay off but when it did it's like you know a real fist pump moment that the show the show earned yeah and i you know some people were a little di- um disappointed in the ending i thought the ending was great me too and i love the arc that rust characters went there's so many so many twists and turns and red herrings and you know Go, going down yeah. the the false bride's path uh <laughs> I, I, the look of it yeah the, the atmosphere that this show creates is incredible. like from the first episode where you roll up and there's this naked girl wearing antlers tied to this tree in this middle mm-hmm. of this godforsaken field in louisiana the setting definitely helps the too, credit right? sequence the credit, credit sequence like helps. like yep. i i know a credit sequence is good when i do not fast forward through it on a marathon <laughs> and it's incredible it is incredible yeah. um everything about this show in my in my mind is incredible. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, I think it, it could be like the, the this new era between uh, Noah's work on on Fargo and Nick's work on True Detective. This could be and and even um, uh, uh, shit. What's the guy on the Nick? Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, this is <laughs> could be the age, the beginning of the platinum age of television, hmm. where these creators. Um, hands-on create these intricate Fabergé egg seasons yeah, yeah. that are just these singular acts of creative brilliance and there are no compromises at all and they're just giving these blank checks. Like, you know, what can be better than, you know, Breaking Bad and Mad Men where you've got yeah. the one guy with the right well, you just get rid of the writer's room and let this guy, you know, like a great novel um, and then you get a really good director that can, um, you know, knock this thing out of the park. Sure. I am. It's probably the most anticipated show for me is what happens with True Detective. It's also the scariest. It's the scariest for me because the format is going to have to be very different. I, I'm I'm talking about the way that they make this show is going to have to be very different, right? He can't sit down and I'll tour this thing through from the from start to finish in the way that he did the first one. He's going to have to speed up his process. He's going to have to probably work with other people. And we already know he's going away from the single director approach. He's got actors that I'm not nearly as confident in. I'm no. not confident in Vince Vaughn. I was excited for True off. Detective when I saw the scenes of like young Woody Harrelson and young Matthew McConaughey yeah. and I know doing that police stuff. They're both great actors, and I know that. And I've, I've really appreciated their work in the past. Not the same with the new actors that they've got coming in. No, I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm not as down on it as you and a lot of people are. Um, but my my point for this is to say, 
I don't think that tarnishes season one. No. Because it is self-contained. No, there's nothing that season two can do to make season one less valuable. Yeah. And, um, I, again, uh, awesome year of television. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what happens next year. Yeah. And knowing that there was still like another 10 shows that I, you know, didn't quite make her top 10, but we're right there. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's an embarrassment of riches we're going through right now. I agree completely. That's it. That's the top 10. Uh, yeah. Of course, the Nick was uh, created, produced, directed, edited by Steven Soderbergh. I just want to make sure the people screaming at the podcast uh, <laughs> don't have to email me on that one. Um, sure. But that's uh, that's our that's our top the top ten list for 2014. Yep. So uh, hope you enjoyed TV in 2014 as much as we did. Uh, I, I had a blast covering all these shows. You know, the top seven out of ten. We're going even deeper this year. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah, I can't wait to see what uh, 2015 looks like. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will uh, see you in our many other podcasts. And don't forget, if you wanted to hear more, if you wanted to see what made the top 20, if you wanted to see what was some of the fringe stuff, uh, go to baldmove.com, click on the show notes for this news post, and we will have those videos linked. Yep. Thanks.